Hello to our listeners in Singapore and throughout the world. Welcome to Words and Music. My name is Loretta Albans. I gotta tell you that there are not many female rockers who have accomplished as much as our next guest, Cherie Curry, the former lead singer of the groundbreaking band The Runaways. In our conversation today, Cherie talks about her new album Boulevards of Splendor, The Power of Forgiveness. Her former bandmates Joan Jett, Lita Ford, and will there be a Runaways reunion? So let's take a listen. I have to tell you a story, and I was listening to Spotify, and um, I was listening to The Runaways, and I said to myself, wow, what an amazing song, Sherry Bomb, and all these other songs. <laughs> and literally, I said to myself in my head, you know, the voices, you talk to yourself, I wish I can speak to this dynamic band. I actually said this to myself. Wow. So, two days later, um, I connect to uh, Ken, because I worked with Ken before. Yeah. I love Ken so much. He is my, he is just my heart. I love him. And um, we were chatting about, um, uh, this came about because uh, he was handling Bob the Drag Queen. And he was just telling me, oh, you know, Loretta, who else do you get on your show? What's your show about? I said, it's basically, you know, um, a chat show uh, where we speak to, you know, artists we admire and love. And he said, how about, have you heard of Cherie Curie? I said, yeah. I said, yeah, how about, she's got a new album. And that's how it came to be. It was just so fateful. Well, that is awesome. And I did not know that you were in Singapore. Yes. My, yes. my younger brother, Don, my, when my parents got divorced and my mother remarried back when I was just joining the Runaways, she moved to Indonesia and they lived in Jakarta and spent a lot of time in Singapore, my brother and, and my mom and, and uh, my stepdad. And uh, boy, the stories he has in Singapore. <laughs> Can you was, remember? Yes, he got bit by a monkey. That was funny. He got attacked at a monkey sanctuary and this monkey just jumped on his arm and all these people were gathered around and John's thinking, this is so great. The monkey just went and just bit him, blood everywhere. And all the all the uh, tourists just got on the bus and left. Yeah, Don, Don had a lot of great, great stories back uh, from those days. How long was your mother living in Jakarta? From 75 to uh, 78. Okay. Yeah, I saw that in the movie, The Runaways, where, you know, yeah. your mom was uh, telling both you and your sister about packing up and going to Jakarta. Right. Yeah. Well, congrats on the album, by the way, Boulevards of Splendor. Thank you, Loretta. Thank you. It's, it's the album I always wanted to make. So I'm so happy it's out. And I wanted to find out and ask you, how did Matt Sorum come into the picture? That is a fluke. I was traveling with Ken Phillips, you know, my PR guy extraordinaire and, and mutual friend of yours. And um, Matt had reached out to me to do some background singing on his now uh, wife's album, Ace, had, had a band. And I was gone out of town. So by the time I got back, I called him and I'd missed that opportunity but he had asked what I was up to, and I told him, wow, you know, I've actually just uh, been asked to open for Joan Jett in three weeks, and I don't have a band. Do you know anybody? <laughs> he said, well, I'll be your drummer. And I just fell out of my chair. And he goes, and I'll put the band together for you. So he had Nick Mayberry and Grant Fitzpatrick 
two of the most outstanding players ever. And I had Jake audition, my son Jake, who you've met uh, earlier, uh, who is just an extraordinarily talented kid. But he was 19. So this was 10 years ago. So uh, we had the band and um, Matt just, everything he touched in my life, it just turned to gold, really did. I'm so grateful to him. Yes, I, I love the whole album. I've been listening it, you know, from top to bottom. Mr. X, Roxy Roller, Boulevard of Splendor. It's just an album we needed, you know, a pure rock and roll album. I just felt so blessed to be, to have the opportunity to stumble upon this album. Thank you, Loretta. That means a lot because you know what? I have never in my, well, almost 40, what is it, seven years in this business, ever had an album that I loved completely. I always had a song or two or three or four or five that I would just want to skip through, you know? But this album, I love it more than I did 10 years ago. A lot of the songs I weren't really hip to, like even Black Magic is one of my favorites. Breakout, which I thought could have been a little hokey with the with the megaphone thing that Matt did and... Uh, Matt came up with so many great ideas, you know, the na 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 na, all that, and now it's like I—they're like my favorite songs on the record. Why did it take so long to um, put the album together? Well, no, the album came together very quickly. I did ask Kenny Laguna, who was my manager at the time, who was Joan's longtime manager, to bring in Tom Panunzio to do some of the finish sound work on it because Matt had worked so hard on this record that I just really thought that we could really use a huge sound. But they shelved the record. I don't really know why. I really don't. I begged. I pleaded. I actually went out on tour in 2013 playing a lot of the songs on this record thinking I could push their hand, but they just didn't. They just shelved it and I didn't expect it to come out at all. In fact, uh, when they put it put it out on vinyl for Record Store Day, I was uh, shocked. You know, why now? I love this record to the point where I couldn't even think about it anymore. I mean, I was selling my house. I was going to buy some land up north, build a couple cabins, and just be a carver. Do the occasional um, session work that I do here and there. But I was finished with this business. And then I met Bree Darling and by doing some session work for her. And we ended up making a record together. But I don't know. I'm going to one day hopefully get an answer of why it sat on a shelf for nine years. But uh, right now, I don't know. Thanks for telling me that because I was confused. And I said, how did this album took 10 years? And I'm so glad you answered that question because I was, I was wondering, why did it take so long? Yeah, well, you know, it's one of those questions that I get asked a lot and I did have an accident in 2016, but remember the album that was finished for a good five years at that point, uh, sitting on a shelf. But uh, having it on Blackheart Records, you know, Joan works all the time, constantly touring, Kenny constantly touring. Maybe that was the reason, but it was 10 years of my life that I lost where I could have been out on tour with a great product. That is a fact. Maybe one day Kenny and Joan will tell me why, but right now I'm just happy it's out. And I'm going to do all I can to promote it here in Singapore and to our fan base at LEMC Productions. Essentially, I'm a concert promoter. Really? Yeah. I promote shows. Our genre is 
basically rock and roll. Um, we've done everything from your Guns N' Roses to your Metallicas, you know, Slipknots and everything. And when this lockdown happened, everything just vanished. And um, I said to myself, what can I do to be a contribution? And what can I do more? I think the question I asked myself, what can I do more? To be a contribution to all these bands sitting at home and how can I get the music and the bands heard on our platform? And we got quite a large following on the our Facebook. And I said, I'll try this. You know, work from home. I put up this studio and um, I reached, started interviewing bands. And Well, I certainly love that because, I mean, I am the one that I've been, you know, promoting the Runaways music because I really didn't have a record. Uh, so a lot of the shows I've done is because people do want to see the Runaways music. They want, and, you know, so I've kept that alive whenever I did shows. Uh, but I would absolutely love that. Love it, love it. I just want to check about the Runaways. Um, if you didn't write that memoir, Neon Angels, and your story, there would not have been a Runaways movie. Am I correct to say that? Yes. Yes, you are correct to say that, yeah. Uh, Kenny, he had read my original book, which came out through Price Stern and Sloan in uh, 1989, but that was a young adult book. And um, Kenny and I were very, very, very good friends, and I had just started to write chapters that uh, were not included in that young adult book for obvious reasons. And he just really believed that he could sell this book into a feature film. Uh, that's a long shot. But you know what? I have to tip my hat to Kenny Laguna. The guy has done a lot with Joan. I mean, honest to God. Of course, she's a great talent, but it took a great manager. And that is what Kenny is. And, and the guy pulled it off. You know, good, good for you, Kenny. Because... That's difficult to be able to have a movie. I mean, it's rare. Not only is it difficult to ha make it happen, but it's rare to have a movie made about you. Yeah, Kenny did a great job on that. Were you there when they were filming the movie, when Kristen Stewart oh, and Dakota Fanning? Oh, yes. K Dakota, uh, Floria Sigismonde really did not want me on the set. Of course, Joan and Kenny were executive producers, so they were on the set, but... Dakota wanted me there. She got what she wanted. <laughs> it's a great movie. I, I enjoyed it very much. Great. You know, the songs Cherry Bomb, Queens of Noise and Hollywood all sound timeless. What did it feel like for you being a 15-year-old, all of a sudden thrust into the exciting world of rock and roll? It's a question that's hard to answer because all of us just were doing what we were told and trying to figure out who we were along the way. Because, you know, all I know is me and Joan in particular, I'm sure Jackie as well, were very insecure. You know, we really didn't know who we were. I mean, Joan, huge Susie Quattro fan. I'm also a Susie Quattro fan, of course. But uh, Joan took on the persona of Susie Quattro while I took on the persona of David Bowie. And it all happened so fast, Loretta. It happened so fast that, um, I mean, we were signed within just a couple of weeks of me joining the band, and then we got in the studio, and before we knew it, we were on tour. It just was a whirlwind, really, really quick. And what was fame like for you? Well, we didn't even really know we had any fame. 
until we got back from our first tour and we, we went from playing the Starwood and the Whiskey and Go-Go to the Santa Monica Civic Center. But we knew that we had actually really made a difference when we played Japan because it was just like Beatlemania. I mean, it was just outrageous. We did not expect to come off a plane and, and be, you know, just have so many police there and just, you know, a sea of people. And it was very exciting. But at that time, we were pretty tired of um, us not having anybody to, to moderate. And Kim, uh, he, he really loved to kind of pit us against one another. He always thought it what he would call gave us rock and roll authority or we'd be pissed off on stage or an edge or whatever but it just destroyed us um our friendships were really warped by that time if there were any jackie had slit her wrists in japan if that doesn't speak volumes about the kind of stress and pressure and we had just we just needed a break and we weren't going to get it there was no way we were going to get it and we didn't really like each other, and at that point, that's why I walked. That's sad. It's sad. Yeah. So if Kim had been of had been more of a mentor instead of trying to, you know, each of you all against each other, I think things have been different. True, and you know, I took care of Kim towards the end of his life. I forgave him, and I, he called me and asked if he was dying of bladder cancer, if he could move into my home, and. I jumped at that, and I took care of him for, for a while until he had to go into uh, back into the hospital. He passed away. But, you know, now in hindsight, I look back, and, I mean, the, he's never, he had a terrible childhood himself. I mean, not a good childhood. And he never had children. He was a hustler. He was brilliant. I mean, one of the truly one of the best lyricists I've ever, I've ever met, ever. Uh, he proved it when he was living here. As well, he just was like Cherry Bomb, rolled right off his tongue with nothing changed, start to finish. He was brilliant. And But, you were brilliant too. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, you know what? We we did the best we could with what we had to be that age. Um, I, think, I think we did pretty good. Definitely. So I did read somewhere about, you know, you trying to get the Runaways back together for a reunion. The link that was not possible was Lita Ford. But do you think that will change? Well, it, it was actually Lita that had reached out to Sandy West and I to about, this was back in uh, 98, 99, early 99. I, I could be 98, um, right before I bought this home. And uh, she said, let's do a Runaways reunion. Can you get Joan on board? So me and Sandy started working on Joan and Kenny. Finally, Joan and Kenny thought that it was a good idea. So once Joan said, okay, and Kenny kind of secured a record deal, and we were talking to talk about touring, uh, we had our very first uh, conference call. And that was the end because Kenny and Lita, Lita just has a real issue with, with Kenny Laguna. And she just said, I'm done. Forget it. I don't need this and hung up. And then they made me call her. And I was, you know, me and Lita didn't really get along. I had to call her and she just said, no, I'm not doing it. Can't stand Kenny. And uh, so that happened. That was too bad because it was all set up. And then Lita came back again Uh, after the Runaways movie and wanted to attempt it. But the thing is, is that Joan now doesn't want to do it. I don't blame her. You know, I mean, who needs the aggravation? 
The thing is, is for me, is I played with all the girls. I played with Joan. I played with Lita. Yeah, so uh, the thing is, is that I at least have played with everyone. I played with Sandy and Jackie. I played anytime I ever did a uh, a show when Sandy was alive. She always played with me. I never did a show without her. I don't think Joan and Lita and Kenny will ever see eye to eye, and that's a shame. You know, I always think what the audience wants, what the fans want, is what should be the most important. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> no, because. Yeah. Essentially, it's it's for the fans. You know, the fans want to see the reunion. But you know what? That's why, for me, with Kim Fowley, why I felt found it so important to forgive him and go beyond that. Because now, I mean, had I not done that, Loretta, I would not be the person I am today. I have nothing but love for Kim. I miss him. And I really think forgiveness and getting past all this baloney, whatever it is that Lita is going through going through with Kenny or vice versa, whatever it is, it's just not worth it. Because life is so much better when you just realize the past is the past and you move past it. I think that I, I've gained so much by, t- by taking care of Kim and getting to know him before he died that I have nothing but my heart is set free. I think I would have, I truly think I would have been a different person had I not done that. Who knows, you know, maybe, you know, his spirit is, will do some divine intervention and the runaways will come together. I don't know. I think at this point, it's probably a moot point. But I mean, I I never say never. Hey, you know, if they decide they can get along, make it work. Great. I think the fans would love it. But you know what? Sometimes music isn't the most important thing to people. Sometimes people think that they are more important than the people. And I think that when that happens, that's too bad. Was Kim a good manager? He certainly got the job done. I mean, he knew more people. And, and listen, the guy was a great writer. He's written for some top-notch, like my dad would say, big cats, you know, in the business. He stole from us, for sure, all our money. But without Kim, there wouldn't have been a runaway. So, again, you've got to take the uh, the bad with the good. After the runaways, um, you also had a very successful acting career. I'm not going to say it was successful. I let drugs really stop me cold. But I was lucky enough to, to do a film with Jodie Foster called Foxes, a movie with Bobby Carradine uh, called Wavelength. And I did some other parts here and there, uh, worked with Demi Moore on a, a uh, on a movie and TV. But, you know, it just wasn't meant to be for me. You know, I mean, I had a serious drug problem. And once I got clean, my career was over. I mean, I guess I'd left such a uh, bodies in my wake, I guess. And that was back at a time when they would pander to drug addicts on stage. Trust me, I mean, like Airwolf. I don't know if you ever saw that. Uh, and I forget the name of the actor right now, but he was loaded all the time. And they still they still went ahead and um, people got away with murder back then. But I, I really didn't know what life was like without drugs. I just didn't. I started at 15 and with cocaine and quaaludes, and I didn't really let it progress anything. I never did heroin or thing. I mean, there were, because it scares me. I mean, drugs scare me. I let it ruin my career. It was my chance, and I just was too messed up. I was too messed up to, uh, to focus and uh, too damaged, I guess, as well. But you're doing great now. You've and you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, I understand why. You know, I I get it. 
And if, if we're here to, to learn lessons and move on from these lessons for the next time around, I'm, I definitely have my eyes wide open and I'm not in denial of what I've done to my life. And I think when you admit and take responsibility for the things you have done right and wrong, it's a freeing thing. It gives you such an inner peace. I recommend it to everybody. And you know what? Even the simple act of saying I'm sorry to someone is huge, really huge of what that not only does for yourself, but really what it does to the recipient, uh, to the recipient of it. Boy, does that help situations big time. Yeah, <laughs> simple, I'm sorry and mean it, you know. People, for some reason, don't do that very often either. Admit that when they're wrong, they don't want to take responsibility. And that's too bad because, boy, is it a good thing to do, honestly. From acting, you stumbled upon wood carving. How did that amazing skill set come about? Everything that has happened that good in my life has stemmed from art. Now, when I was a, a counselor and a tech at Coldwater Canyon Hospital helping young kids uh, battle their addictions, I had to sit in a classroom with these children. And I had to sit there for two hours at a time. So I started to bring a sketchboard and colored pencils. That was it. And I started to draw for the really for the first time, and they were these whimsical little scenes with you know merm I mean with a you know pr a prince and a princess and castles and you know beautiful animals and everything was so gorgeous and love and all that romance and I a friend of mine Rick Frio who was my manager took me to Price Stern and Sloan as an artist for children's books. And when they asked me how long I've been drawing, and I said, I've been drawing a year. And they said, how is that possible? And I told them the story about the runaways and the drug addiction and um, getting clean and sober. And they said, well, we've been looking for our first young adult book, and this is it. So I walked in just to see if they would use some of my art, let me draw for some children's books. And I walked out an, an author. Had I not been drawing at that time, that would never have happened. Therefore, the book never would have happened. The movie wouldn't have happened. But I went on from going from a sketch artist, and I was never good. I, I mean, I can't, like, I do more caricature-type drawings. My son, on the other hand, can do a beautiful watercolor painting of you, and it looked exactly like you. I, I've, I tried. I do not possess that talent. But then I went, and I started painting, and I grabbed some oak tabletop, bleached oak tabletop out of the trash down the street, and I rolled it home, and I painted a steer skull on it, and I just, because I'd done like real three-dimensional paint on it, I just wanted just to carve that out, but I, you can't on oak, so I went and bought a little round tabletop at Home Depot, and I sketched a scene, and I carved it out with a Dremel, and I stained and painted it. I started selling those because, I mean, they were pretty amazing. And then one day I was going to uh, the beach and happened to pass a couple of guys chainsaw carving at the side of the road. And I didn't stop, but I couldn't get it out of my head. And every morning I got up, this voice, that voice, Loretta, that we need to listen to every time, not just part of the time, every time was telling me I had to go back and I finally did and I walked into their gallery and I saw these beautiful mermaids and dolphins and 
I mean, bears and just any everything you could think. It was beautiful art. It wasn't the, you know, what you would imagine, these boxy bears, you know. It was gorgeous. And this voice said, you can do this. Okay. And I asked the owner if I could, uh, if he would teach me. And he looked at some of my artwork and said, absolutely. I started winning ribbons almost out the gate, it seemed. And uh, I started competing in 2005 and placed in a couple major competitions. You know, I've been uh, doing it ever since. So So which is your favorite um, carving that you've done? Oh, wow. I couldn't tell you my favorite. I think the woman that I have on my main page that is praying in a sarong, I think she's my favorite simply because I'd never done a woman, really, really done a woman before like that. And it was eight feet tall and it, I was so terrified and it turned out so great. So I think she's truly my favorite, but I've done a lot that I loved, a lot that I've loved. It was hard to let them go at first, you know? So now I just carve for other people. I don't carve for myself. I just carve, you know, I don't own a single piece that I've done. So people who want wood carvings would just go to your website and place an order, make a request? That's right. That's the great thing is that you can have anything you want any way you want it. Anything you can dream up, I can do. And that's pretty hard to find someone that can do that. And I don't think there's another medium where you can really do that. Definitely not in wood that I know, but, you know, I love to chainsaw carve. I'll be doing that as long as I can lift the saw. Do you do overseas orders? I have. Well, I don't think I've ever, I've gone to Canada. That was rough. It's very expensive to ship uh, overseas. Uh, because they go by weight and size. But uh, but Canada, I've shipped to Canada. Anything you want to tell your fans in Asia or around the world? It's so funny because when you say that, I think, gosh, do I still have fans yes. from way back? I will say thank you for all your support all these years. You mean so much. Because without those fans, I wouldn't be doing this. And that's guaranteed. Because this business is, can be really hard and But the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is the fans, which make it worth it for me. Um, I grew up with these fans. A lot of them still, even from my Runaways days, come to my shows. And they just make everything worthwhile. They mean everything. Because I think a lot of people in this business forget that without the fans, they are nothing. Treat your fans, friends, I call them friends, with the utmost respect including you, including the journalists, including all the people that take the time to talk to me. You could be doing something else, but you're supporting my record and helping me get the word out. So you're as important as I am, as the fans are. We're all doing this together. Nobody is better than anybody else. It's a really, it's a love for music. It's a love of the, this kind of music. And, and my appreciation is boundless for you. And my fans out there, thank you so very much. Without you, I'm nothing. The Runaways did tour for the Ramones. I believe I did do a show with the Ramones. It was, again, we worked every night for a couple of years. I I believe we did for a night or two. But then after I left the band, I think that they could have actually toured with the Ramones. I didn't want to even look. I didn't even listen to the Runaways music till just 22 years ago after. I mean, so that's, we're talking a couple, 20 years, 
where I couldn't even listen to the runaways or, or look at any uh, videos or anything because it just was so painful. But I did. I do know that the girls worked with them, I believe, on a tour after I left. The COVID-19 in California, how are you coping? Very well. I'm blessed. I don't know anyone. My niece did test positive. She was sick, had like a 24-hour bug, and she did test positive. But my brother and, and his wife were negative. I don't know anyone that has passed or been hospitalized uh, with this uh, disease at all. Uh, no one, actually, besides little Grace, um, who recovered in 24 hours. So uh, the lockdowns are really hard because we did everything right. We're so compliant. And then we had the riots and we had the protests. And for some reason, it feels a little to me like they're blaming us good folks that just sat at home and played by the rules. But, you know, everybody is suffering now because they just shut us down again. We'll get through this. We'll get through it. How about you? We are fine here in Singapore. I mean, we've got kind of strict government rules here. When we are stay-home notice, we all have to stay home. Businesses have shut down. Only essential services have, you know, come forward. The thing about the mask, it's very strict here. If you don't yeah. wear the mask, you will get fined like $300. And if you're a repeat offender, you get fined, I think, 500 up to 1000 So it's very yeah. strict. That's what's happening here as well. Uh, and I think absolutely people should wear masks. I, I don't, I think when I want to walk from my house to my car, I don't need to wear a mask. Or if I'm walking my dog down the street with no one around that I need to wear a mask. Personally, I'm, I'm allergic to if I start to sweat and I find it very difficult to breathe. I also know that it's not good to breathe in your car own carbon monoxide while you're exercising or anything like that, because I do have to wear a mask when I carve, but it's a different kind of mask. But, you know, we're, we're going through the same thing that you're going through, Loretta. Strict lockdowns, and yesterday he shut everything down again because there's a spike in positive uh, cases. Not, I mean, there are more people in the hospital, of course, there would be if the if the protests and the rioters and everything else, I thought for sure that that would cause it. And I don't know exactly what did, but I know that the people that stayed at home and wear the mask and go to the market didn't cause this spike. I think we'll find out eventually, but we're getting to the point of no return. And that's what scares me as I, I, I wonder what happens when the remedy kills the patient and when the economy cannot recover and therefore people are dying because they've lost they've lost everything. I mean, I think we should have the right if you want to wear a darn spacesuit. Wear a spacesuit, but let these people go out and work. Stick to the guidelines, but I know we're at the point now of no return and I think that our leaders are are not doing a very good job protecting people's businesses. They're just not and uh, they're not doing the right thing, in my opinion. And a lot of fear, too. You know, fear. You just can't let fear run you into the ground. And, and again, I'm sure you guys get it, too. It's just uh, constant bad news and so much they overdo it on, on, on the media and really put the fear of God into people. And I wish they wouldn't do that. Uh, it's real, but, you know, we got to get past it. Thank you so much, sweetie. 
And I hope I meet you one day. You've been terrific. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for the support. All right. Much love. Okay. Love to you too, Sherry. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed seeing and hearing Sheree Curry in her home talking about so many wonderful things and inspiring things. My takeaway from our chat is that Sheree is full of wisdom and fearless in her pursuits. If you'd like to know more about Sheree, visit her website at sheriecurry.com. This podcast is also available on Apple, Google and Omni. And you can view the video version of this show on our YouTube channel at lemcproductions.com. For new episodes, be sure to follow our socials at LEMC Productions. Until next time, my name is Loretta Alabond for Words and Music. Take care and see you soon. <laughs>